All set. All right, my name is Erin, um, and that is my husband, Zach, in the mustache. You can call him Mustache Man, um, but I know him as Zach. Um, this is very cool to be here today because yeah, we, I have a long story with Josh and with Katie, um, but five years ago, um, over fall break at UVA, I was on staff, and I came out to JMU. I had just heard from Josh and Katie that they would be leaving UVA to pioneer a Chi Alpha at JMU. And so I came up here for fall break um, and I just spent a day praying on this campus and um, praying for you all and praying for Josh and Katie and praying for the staff um, that are now Hunter and Julia. And so five years later, <laughs> They were Hunter and Julia then also. Um, but when I look around this room, I just know um, that um, the Lord has been seeing you guys in his eyes for a long time. I knew that you'd be here um, and to see this room this full and every one of you has been so kind and welcoming and I just can just see the, the work that he's done. So I'm thrilled to be here with you all. I met Josh Moran actually, <laughs> I counted, 11.5 years ago. Josh um, was my spring break trip leader to Miami, so I guess I met him in December of 2011, that would be right. At the time, Josh and Katie had one Moran kiddo, yeah. and that was Emma, and there were no, no others. Um, soon there were, and now, um, yeah, one, two, three, four. There are four of them. So a little bit about me. I'm from Northern Virginia. Anyone here from Northern Virginia? Yeah, you show up at UVA or JMU and you just feel so special when you're from Northern Virginia, is that right? Um, and I moved to Charlottesville to be a, a Wahoo. And I studied hard and I earned my degree. And in the meantime, I had a new understanding of my faith and I want to share a little bit about that story before I get into my work. Um, Alpha came along and I did my best my first year at UVA to be kind of half in, half out. Um, I found myself a fall retreat and that was the way that I had gone into Chi Alpha. And it wasn't that I was trying to be half in and half out, but I had kind of lived that way when I was growing up in the church. And I had come to college with just a ton of questions about who God was and I had seen a lot of bad things happen and I, I bet you guys have too by the time you're 18, 20 years old, you've seen bad stuff and you've seen suffering and you've seen hurts and wounds and I just didn't know where to take any of those questions and I didn't feel like I was getting answers. So I came to core group, you know, 50% of the time and I sat there and kind of lied <laughs> I kind of lied my way through it and I, I remember distinctly like what it felt like to lie because we were sharing one night about you know what the Lord had done recently and I was like man the Lord I just really feel like when I, I was in bio 101 at the time I wasn't doing very well but I was in bio 101 at the time and I just remember telling them like yeah I just look at this DNA and I just really see the reflection of the Lord in it. Um, I just know that God has a design and I know that he has created us. And, and I just like heard myself speaking and I was like, I am the biggest liar in the world. I am not saying the truth right now, but everyone like, mm. um, yeah. If you guys have been in the women's small group, maybe you've heard that. Mm. <laughs> but um, I came back second year, 
because we call it second year at UVA over, over there. And my core group leader pulled me aside and we started having one-on-ones and it was really intentional. And I started learning how to read scripture. And at first it was homework and I was really good at homework. So I knew how to, mm, my voice just got bigger. Um, I knew how to do homework. So she would tell me, read your Bible and listen to this worship video and then let me know what you think about it. And so I would do that every day and I would send it to her at like 11.58 p.m. and it was over email because it was 2010. And that is how I learned how to, to read the Bible. Midway through my second year, I came home um, for winter break and my parents told me that they were gonna be divorced. And um, like seven days later, my dad moved out and my world turned upside down. And divorce is super common, but it's super not cool. Um, yeah, super not cool. And I found myself in like the most turned upside down place as far as what my family looked like, what my home looked like and felt like. And yet I came back to college to a core group who cared about me, to friends who loved me, who asked me how I was doing. And I came back to college with a devotional life um, and a God that I knew cared for me and answers that I knew I could find in scripture. And it was everything. Um, and so I got the words, um, the God of grace today on my slip of paper. And I was just reflecting on my story, God has been gracious every step of the way in ways that I would never have seen coming. Um, so then I graduated and I joined Chi Alpha staff and it's there that I learned to hold my microphone on my chin. <laughs> um, yeah, I noticed the, the Moran's culture has spread because um, y'all talked straight through the announcements. <laughs> um, and if you haven't noticed, Josh Moran is also like the king of the verbal meme, meaning like he can make anything into a phrase that other people start saying. Um, so I don't know, if, I don't know what is like relevant now, but like it was like sorry, not sorry, like who could say? What a guy! Wow, I keep them coming. I love this. <laughs> and then about seven years into. Chi Alpha life, I felt the Lord calling me somewhere different, and I had gotten, you know, an econ and politics degree and didn't, didn't, yeah, nerd. <laughs> and so now I'm in the um, marketplace, as you say, <laughs> doing strategy and management consulting. And that basically means this Barbie does spreadsheets, and this Barbie does slides, this Barbie does PowerPoint all day long. Okay, so we're going to talk about the, the marketplace today, and we're going to talk a little bit about work. And so I want you to turn to your neighbor today. Oh, did you think I was going to say scripture? Ha-ha! <laughs> <laughs> um, and I want you... <laughs> Sorry. Um, I want to ask you, you can answer one of these or all of these. What was your first job? What was your best job? What was your worst job? Answer one of the three. Could all be the same. I'll give you like two minutes. Water. 
wipe your sweat off. Hey, the Barbie joke went over well. Yeah, that was it. Do you want to keep it up here? They can probably hear me. I'd love a couple answers from, from the room. <laughs> Worst job, best one, yep. Uh, first job, I, my parents didn't let me get a job in high school, and also I had my freshman year during the pandemic, hashtag class of 2023. Uh, but uh, my first job, I did um, summer tours for JMU. Very cool, summer tours for JMU. So, <laughs> I worked at this place called Motor World, Your Place to Race. I was the assistant manager at 15 years old. It was awesome. There were like gunshots in the windows, and the go-karts would break down, and I was in charge of it all. Yes. Summary. Don't trust a place with assistant managers at 15 years old. One more? maybe from the dudes? Capitals at game night staff whenever I'm home. Very cool. I'm guessing that's in best job category. It's a hockey team. Sorry, I miss her. That's the best job though. Very, very cool. Very cool. My first job, you just told me what the Washington Capitals were, if anyone missed that. Um, thank you. Thank you, thank you. All right, my first job, and maybe my best job, was working at a bagel cafe. Yeah, I was 14, which is confusing when I look back. And the bagel cafe fed me as many bagels during a shift as they could, could possibly give me. I don't remember a manager being on, on shift with me, and that's how I became 5'9". Um, that's why I'm tall. Um, so here's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> work is a big part of our lives. Whether it's schoolwork, which you guys are all in that, in that sphere of life right now, or if it's the job you have after college, or if it's the chores you do, or if it's the volunteer work you do, there's a lot of work that goes into living. Um, work is especially relevant to you all, and I don't need to tell you this, because you guys are in a stage of life where you're preparing for something outside of JMU. Um, any seniors in the room? Grad student, seniors. So you guys are probably feeling a little bit of this pressure starting to come on that you're looking for things outside of JMU. And for freshmen, it might not feel like it's that close, but the seniors will tell you it's closer than you think. It goes by. So if you're like me, you might be thinking when you're a college student, will I like what I do? Will I make enough money? Will anyone hire me? Yeah, and then you zoom out and you might be thinking, does God care about what I do? Is this a different part of my life than my faith, or are they somehow tied together? Um, and what does scripture say about my work? And that's why I love our scripture for tonight, and it answers some of these questions and, and more. And it's not the only part of scripture that talks about our work and how God would want us to interact with the work 
our work, but it is the first. So we're going to jump into Genesis 1. If you have your Bible, this is now the time to open your Bible. And in my job, the way we read email, write emails, excuse me, is we say, bottom line, up front. It's the TLDR of our email chains. So my bottom line up front is God gives us work, God gives us rest, and God calls us to redeem. So God gives us work, God gives us rest, and God calls us to redeem. And I want to show you how in Genesis, that's a little bit of what what God is saying to us. So verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Right off the bat, in the very first words of Scripture, what are the four first words? Oh, and I meant five. That stinks. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God created. Right out front, I think of, I believe that Genesis is a poem. Um, I know that it is true. Um, but it is also written in poetic verse, and it is a lot about God's nature and how God created. And so right at the beginning, the very first words, in the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God created. Think about how God does this work, this creative work that brings us into being. It's incredibly important that we think about this in terms of the original listener. And when Genesis was written, The first listeners of this book of the Bible would have been Israelites who had just left Egypt. And if you think about their story, if you're familiar with their story, they had just spent 400 years in slavery. And so as God tells them this good news of how the world came into being and how humanity was made, he's also leveling with them about how they should understand him and how they should understand themselves and how they should interact with work. So let's start again. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. I'm not going to read this all today, but if you look at your scriptures, do you see how the the poetic verses are laid out? Each of them starts out with, and God said, and God said, and God said. And if you look into each of these paragraphs, you'll see a couple of other repeated phrases. And the first one I want to call out to you is, at the end of each one of these, it says, and there was evening and there was morning, the first day, and there was evening and there was morning, the second day, and there was evening and there was morning, the third day. When do you start your day? When do you say you start your day? Morning or night? morning. When does scripture say you start your day? Night, evening. Scripture says that you start your day in the evening. When we think about our work, it's critical that we start with the mindset that God was sharing with these people. In these divinely inspired world, it, word, it's subtle here, but when we think about our days starting with our evening, what does our day actually start with? Rest. It's critical to know this. Um, There's this really cool book called The Liturgy of the Ordinary, and the author, Tish Harrison Warren, gives this picture of these everyday little moments 
that tell us something about our spirituality. That every day when we're doing the same things, when we're brushing our teeth, when we're eating lunch, when we're going to work, when we're coming home, when we're feeding the cat, I've got two cats. Um, these are something about our spirituality. And I love the part of the book that talks about waking up. When you wake up, before you put on any of your other identities, before you become a student, or a teacher, or a brother, or a sister, or a mom, or a dad, you are just sitting there, laying under the covers, and your hair's messed up, and you have bad breath, and you might have a wedgie. <laughs> and the most lovely thing is that God loves you right there. Truly, truly, there's nothing that you could do after you get out of bed that would make him love you more. When I am stressed, because I get very stressed, I am such a type A personality and I am competitive and my identity can slip away from me. And I remember this idea that my day starts with evening, that my day starts with my rest. And I lay there in bed and I think, if I can rest here and know that there's nothing else that I can do that would make God love me more, what kind of peace can I have in that? How can I then start my day when I wake up in the morning? God gives us rest. I bet some of your church kids were thinking I was gonna talk about the seventh day, didn't you? But no, I am going straight into this verse that, that um, Genesis repeats. And there was evening and there was morning. Okay, there's another phrase in, in almost every verse that is repeated. It's right before, and there was evening, and there was morning. What does it say right before that? God saw that it was good. Over and over again, God speaks another piece of his creation into being. He speaks it. He says, let there be light, and there was light. It forms right in front of us, and it's as if there's this kind of fireworks show going off in creation, that there is light, and there is our plants, and there are animals. And then we get to the finale. And what is the finale? Humanity is the finale. And so we'll read in verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food and to the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw, it, saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the point in the sermon where my pages are not in order. 
Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule. Humans, male and female, are made in the image of God, in God's likeness. And there are so many theological implications about what this means. This means you have inherent dignity. This means you have inherent worth and value. This also means that God has indwelled within you purpose. God tells male and female that they are to rule. Honestly, I feel like this is the part of the sentence that kind of gets like slept on, kind of gets like passed over, that God has created you in his likeness so that you would be his representation. It's pretty fascinating if you look at history to understand what it means to be made in this image of God. In this day, it was common practice that earthly kings would kind of put a statue in the like marketplace or the center of the town where they weren't ruled. Like in the capital, you know, they would be there in their physical presence. But in every other city and town where they have rulership, they would erect a statue, put it in the middle of the town so that people would know who had dominion in that place, who was the ruler, who was the king, who was in charge. When we are made in the image of God, and since we know that the image of God is made male and female, we can guess that it's not about physical likeness. But when we are made in the image of God, we reflect his character and we are his representation. We are his image at work in the world, pun intended. Um, so how do we reflect his image? Think about all of the metaphors of God in scripture. And when we look at all those pictures of God, then we can see the roles that we can take, take part in in what we do in light of God, who God is. So God is creator. I think of gardeners growing plants. I think of my husband who is a construction manager building hospitals. God is creator. God is truth. God is a teacher. I think of educators. I think of people who bring truth into the world and who grow people. God is healer. God desires wholeness. I think of doctors. I think of physical therapists. I think of everyone who touches human bodies to make them work better so that people may flourish. God is just. I think of lawyers. I think of paralegals. I think of everyone in the justice system who brings justice into our world imperfectly, but because God is just. And just so you don't think it's all about the marketplace, I don't even want to, like, countless mentions of mother and father in, in how God reflects his character to us. And so we see that our marketplace jobs reflect something of the character of God, something of God's nature in the world. And I'm really in awe when I look around a room this size that God didn't actually create us with all the same gifts, the same interests. I do know what the Washington Capitals are. <laughs> but I have no interest in doing that job. But you do. You really do. And that is awesome. Because that means that where I am not, he is, right? And you guys might not want to do strategy and management consulting. <laughs> nope. Okay. Okay. You guys might not all want to be teachers. You guys might not all want to be medical professionals, but the fact is, if a couple of us can go into each of those fields and we can be the light of Christ in those places, maybe the world can look a little bit better. 
So when you leave Kaiafa and when you leave JMU and you pack your bags and you head out, you're gonna scatter a bit and it will be sad, but it will also be amazing. Because when I think about all the light that is in this place, and I think about the opportunity for that to be scattered across this city, this state, this country, this world, that's gonna be amazing because there will be little images of God, representations of Christ everywhere we go. So I wanna revisit verse 31. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. God looks at the woman and the man and he gives them this purpose to rule together rule with one another over the earth that he has just created and he calls that very good this is the finale of the fireworks show and it's also super important to remember that this comes before the fall this comes before any piece of the world was broken anything that that was left to be desired this was before all of that which means that work is good work is created by god and we actually get purpose from doing it That's why when people lose their jobs, there's something that is taken away from them that hurts. Because we are meant to create, we are meant to be part of society, we are meant to to give into this world. And that is very good. God gives us work. Okay, so God gives us rest, God gives us work. Now I wanna end with this, God calls us to redeem. We know that Genesis 1 is not the end of the story and as sin enters the world, our world becomes broken and our work gets hard and our work becomes selfish. And humanity is entangled in sin in the Garden of Eden. And God tells the man and the woman that there will be pain and fruitlessness in their work. And if you look at it, this is just like a little side note that I find really cool. If you know the curse in Genesis 3, you'll notice that the word for labor, for the woman's labor and for the man's labor is the same word. Guys, he gives us purpose as man and woman, and he gives us, um, he tells us that the work will be painful as man and woman, and he also calls us to redeem as man and woman. This is something that we partner in. But he tells them, both the man and woman, that when they experience work, that it's gonna be painful, and it won't return um, to them what they put into it. And doesn't sometimes work feel like that? That you don't get the credit for all the things that you did, right? You don't get the recognition, you don't get the raise, somebody else beats you out for that position. Um, I'm sure even if you're not even thinking about a a job in the marketplace right now, you you can feel that in school. You don't always see the return on that test grade for the effort that you put into it. Work is hard and it doesn't feel good. And sometimes work is selfish. We get this picture in Genesis 11 when, when We get this picture of the Tower of Babel, and you can flip there with me, but it will be short. But in Genesis 11, two through four, it says, as people moved eastward, it's interesting that when when they left the Garden of Eden, they moved east, and they continued to move east all through the book of Genesis. And so it says, as they moved eastward, farther and farther away from God's plan, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. And they said to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. As the world continued to experience brokenness, so did the way that we viewed work. 
something that was lovely and creative became something by which people felt like they had their identity tied to. Their very name was tied to it. Do you know people like that? Are you someone like that? I am someone like that. I have a tendency to do that. I will work so hard so people will know that I work hard. I will compete so that people will know that I am a winner. And my identity can be so wrapped up in it, but it is not where I find my name. And it is not where you need to find your name either. So I wanted to say that, but I also want to give us a picture of what work can be and how I believe that when you think about creation and when you think about the fall, how God actually brings us into something of redemption. And so I wanted to read a passage from Luke 10. You see, in the New Testament, as Jesus shares about this kingdom that he is creating, this kingdom of redemption and renewal, this kingdom where there is peace, this kingdom where there is shalom, this kingdom where instead of violence there is goodness, instead of shame there is grace. He gives this picture and he brings his disciples around him and he calls them, just like in Genesis, to go out and to make something new, to go out and be representatives of his kingdom in the world, the thing that he is doing. And so I'm gonna read a little bit of the story of Jesus sends out the 72 in Luke 10. I'll start in verse one. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. And then this part is is where I wanna stick for a while. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. They are set out, the disciples are set out two by two they are meant to share the gospel with their words. But what is the first thing that they do? So they say, peace to this house. They walk up to someone, and the first thing that they say out of their mouth is not, you are a sinner, and you need to change, and this workplace is bad, and I hate everything here, and if only I could go back to Chi Alpha. The first thing that they say is, peace to this house. And it says, if someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Then it says, stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give to you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. What I read in this is that when we go out into the world, first we should be people who bring peace. In other words, we should be people who bless others in every hospital floor that we walk into, every teacher's lounge that we walk into, We should be people who speak peace. And then second, I wanna say that we should be people who stay. It's really hard to make friends after college. It's gonna take a little while, but the people that you can make peace with and the people that invite you into their homes and the workplaces that you get invited into, stay there and build relationship so that you can be the light of Christ, a city on a hill that cannot be put out a shining light and a beacon of Christ. So I wanna close with a couple of stories from my friends and from myself 
on what this looks like. And so stick with me here. First, cultivate good things in your workplace. There are so many options in front of you for what you can do, what you can contribute to society that is good. If you love working with numbers, work with numbers. If you love working with children, work with children. If you wanna be an entrepreneur, go make a ton of money. <laughs> I'm not kidding. And then be generous. And for some of you, that will come easier than others. In all of these things, there are good and bad things, but in your job and my job, we are called to emulate Christ in every place that we go and to grow his image. I, do, I have friends who do all sorts of things, and I love that when I look at them and I look at what we can do together in the world, that we can see what we can renew. I would be miserable as a construction manager. Zach is a construction manager, and I could not do that job. I never, ever want to be a software coder, ever, ever. I would shrivel up and die. <laughs> I didn't have that in my notes, <laughs> but I truly believe that I would. But I also wouldn't be able to write this sermon without a printer and um, even my Google Doc. So thanks Google, thanks Apple. It's a messy gray area, you know, but I'm thankful for <laughs> thankful I could write this sermon. So I want to ask you guys where can you uniquely contribute to this world and how can you cultivate good things? Okay, second, serve. If we think back to our call to be little rulers, who is the image of, of a ruler in, in scripture that we should most look like? Yeah, great job guys. It's Jesus, it's Jesus, okay. When Jesus showed his disciples what it meant to be king, it looked like scrubbing yucky, nasty feet. It's true. So when we think about our work, if you are the bottom rung at work, or if you grow up and you get to be the boss, the, the tip of that spear, the top of that pyramid, you are called to serve. I think, so right now I'm supervising like seven people. And it's a time. And when I think about the end of my day, I can do a million wonderful things in the world, but if I am rude, if I am unkind, if I belittle them, then what am I really doing if I cannot show love to the people who have been entrusted to me and who have been placed right beside me? That's my challenge, um, to give dignity to the smallest, to the weakest, to the one in need. That is how we serve in our workplace. Okay, third, work for justice. The example that comes to mind is a friend of mine, I think she's spoken here, who literally opened the words of scripture and saw this work for justice as a call very specifically for her own life where she went into the legal field to serve teenagers in a broken justice system. She is like my absolute hero. I also think of a friend of mine who moved unwillingly to a city in the Midwest because her husband got transferred there. Lost her job that she loved being a business lady and instead she struggled for a while to figure out what she wanted to do for work. But she had a business degree. She started volunteering with a ministry at church that um, created a cleaning business that um, single moms could be a part of this cleaning business and make an income. And she turned it 
from something where the church was basically supporting it out of their pocket to a real full-fledged business that um, was, was self-sustaining because she put her business degree and she got money in people's pockets who needed it. And I'm gonna call on Zach and I love this story, but Zach was working on a construction site a couple years ago and he met a guy who had immigrated to the States recently. And Zach would tell you that he is super talented, but he kept getting looked over for promotions. He kept getting looked over for, for the good jobs. And Zach felt like it was partly because of the language barrier. And so what Zach did is he got on LinkedIn and found him a better job and sent him the job posting and got him hired. I don't think we have to limit ourselves in how we can work for justice in the workplace. I think we just have to have our eyes open to the way that the Holy Spirit would nudge us to be people who serve and work for the good of others. And I love these stories because sometimes it's your whole career that God is calling you into. You're stepping out and saying, Lord, I didn't even see myself walking in this direction, but I know that you're here and I know that it's good and I'm gonna move in this direction. But sometimes you get to do exactly what your degree was about, or you get to take a job you never thought you would take, didn't have anything to do with your degree. But every place that you are, the kingdom of God is, and the image of God is, and you are empowered to be that person who serves and loves and brings justice. And I just wanna be clear with you guys, that doesn't start when you graduate. All of the things that I just said don't actually start when you graduate. You can cultivate good things here at JMU. You can serve here at JMU. You can work for the good of others, the one who is overlooked right here at JMU. So if you're gonna do this after you graduate, you might as well start now. Um, and then I wanna close with this. This was my favorite piece of advice, probably from all the years I was on CAFA staff. Be the chaplain of your office. I remember saying this often when I was teaching on staff with Kai Alpha. I would say this every year, we had a lesson, and I would say this to people, and I would tell them things like this. And then when I left Kai Alpha, one of the women I discipled came up to me and she said, oh gosh, I might cry. <laughs> um, she said, okay, and it's your turn. Um, you get to go be the chaplain of your office. And I remember being like, shoot, <laughs> she's right. <laughs> um, but it has rung so true. We get to be different where we go. The way I speak, the language that I use, the way I care for people is different and people do notice. It's not a mystery to people who I serve. And I live differently because I ask people for forgiveness when I mess up. I ask them about their days. I pray for them. Sometimes not with them, <laughs> but I pray for them. And there are countless ways in which I get to be the chaplain of my workplace.